Welcome to Putting the Real in Real Estate with Dave Nimick, the podcast where we work with real estate enthusiasts to share the unfiltered truth and the reality of real estate. Now our host, Dave. All right, welcome to Putting the Real in Real Estate. Today we have a very special guest, Mark Churchill. He has been a lender actually that I've personally worked with several times. He's in his 25th year in the mortgage industry and has, it could take several minutes just to go through all the awards that he's received, but he annually receives several awards, including the President's Cup Award, has been nominated for Loan Officer of the Year more than once, and is pretty much every year top 1% of loan originators nationally. So, Mark, first, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Dave. I'm excited to be here. Great. Me too. Very happy to have you here. So, first, I wanted to ask you kind of about your journey. How did you, it's 25 years, that's a quarter of a century, (laughs) quite some time. Why don't you tell us kind of how you got to where you are now? Well, I tell you what, it feels like uh, forever ago. And I don't think in college I was thinking about getting into the mortgage business, but I always knew that sales would probably be part of my professional world. And shortly after graduation, the same story that a lot of people have. You know, I knew somebody who knew somebody that knew somebody who owned a mortgage company. So we stumbled uh, into this world 25 years ago. And fortunately, there's still a place for us and we're still finding a way to, to help people out. And that, In that 25 years, I've worked a similar capacity, but for a lot of different entities, whether that be a mortgage broker, a retail bank, or as I do today, which is a prosperity home mortgage, which is a correspondent lender, a mortgage banker, but in the end, originating and closing residential loans for clients uh, is what I've done ever ever since college. Great. And obviously in sales, there's a lot of different avenues that someone can go into sales. What kind of made you, you know, specifically, it sounds like a friend was doing it. And is that kind of the main thing that kind of drew you into mortgage specifically? Well, after, uh, that's a great question. And after I learned more about the mortgage process, one of the things that I liked about it so much getting started, and one of the things I like about it so much today is that, you know, I'm the one that brings, for lack of a better term, the potato chips to the party. I'm the one that brings the big bag of money. While you, the real estate professionals, are the ones out there either selling the homes or helping the clients find the homes, if they're getting a loan, then there's going to be a component of that mortgage. And it's great that I get to be the quarterback. You know, I'm the point person. I'm the one that gets the opportunity to educate them about the process, not just, hey, we need a loan. We want to go to this lender or this bank, but uh, to tell them more about the process so that they understand. Because in a lot of situations, in most situations, It's people's largest financial obligation. So they really having a better understanding of the process and the product that they're going to be getting is was was always so important. And that appreciation, you know, when they get to the closing, the finish line, and and they're so excited about their new home and the appreciation they have for the the role that we got to play. So yeah, that's great. And speaking from personal experience, you don't leave anyone with any surprises. Like they're it's not, you're not looking at the at the information at the closing table, like, what is this all about? So that's a benefit of working specifically with you. So thanks for that approach. Now, more specifically to what we are talking about today, 
is the pre-approval process and getting pre-approved. So first question I had for you is, what does getting pre-approved mean? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a question that often gets answered incorrectly, but you know, getting pre-approved for a mortgage is really just finding out, can I accomplish financially what I'm trying to do in terms of financing a home that I want to buy? And you know, it, it often, pre-approval gets lumped in with a term called pre-qualification. And pre-qualification is more accurately conversation. It's a consultation. And, hey, Dave, nice to meet you. Tell me a little bit about what you're looking to do. Tell me a little bit about how you get paid. Tell me a little bit about your assets in the bank, in your credit history. And then we have a nice conversation. I might give you some direction on some things that you could do or should do. And then that's a pre-qualification, a pre-approval is taking it one step further, you know, ordering a credit report and reviewing those debts and those liabilities, reviewing income with pay stubs and tax forms if necessary, reviewing asset statements, basically looking at the entire scenario, validating the information, and then often running it through what's called the AUS or the Automated Underwriting System. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac both have their own proprietary automated underwriting systems, and most lenders have access to those. And then from those findings that we get from those automated underwriting systems, we can confidently tell consumers, hey, you're in, you're in a good position to be buying a home to this price point with this down payment in your credit profile. And that way they can go into the marketplace with confidence, knowing that if, if and when they do find that place and they go under contract, they know that they can secure financing. So it's never, and I'll tell you, Dave, it's, it's never, it's such a great timely topic that we're talking about, because it's never been more important to be pre-improved in the current time with the current conditions that we're going through. Absolutely, Mark. I couldn't agree more that this, it's super important to be doing that and never more important than right now. The next question, you kind of answered the next question I would have had, which is why someone gets pre-approved. What all is involved in the pre-approval process? Yeah. So a lot of times people will ask me, you know, how long does it take to get pre-approved? How long does it last? And generally speaking, what I'll do with, with clients is I'll ask if they wanted to get onto a quick call so that I can maybe address some initial concerns and questions they might have about the process. What I want to do is make sure that the client is ready to move forward with the pre-approval process. Not that there's a a cost or obligation with it necessarily, but just making sure that I understand what their concerns are, what their scenario is, and if this is the right time for them to move forward with that. Assuming that they are ready to move forward with it, most people at that point would utilize my online application portal through my website, and it might take them 10 or 12 or 15 minutes to basically enter their basic information, name, date of birth, social, where they live, where they work, and they hit submit. And the great thing about technology today versus even five or 10 years or more further back uh, when we got started is that now these systems will allow the consumer to link up things like their bank statements and it'll be able to verify employment without needing pay stubs. So the process can be tremendously streamlined due to technology. And all of this is the company that owns the company I work for is it's, it's, it's Berkshire Hathaway. So it is certainly a a very large um, company that takes security very seriously because we're often dealing with people's most sensitive information financially. But that's how people normally will get started. And then after they have submitted their application, 
I'll review the information that the system has, and then I can circle back with them and ask them any questions that may not have been completed, and then also let them know what documentation would be needed to move forward with the pre-approval. Oftentimes, I can run the scenario through our automated underwriting system at the point of sale, at the time that they've submitted their information, and give them a lot of the information that they need up front. So the pre-approval process can be done very quickly. And the documentation, you know, it could be as much as, you know, the traditional two years of tax returns, two months of bank statements, and 30 days of pay stubs, or the system may be able to verify all that information just based on where they might work and where they might bank and really streamline it to to qualify that for, you know, our program is called Accelerate, which is a streamlined process. It makes it a lot easier from a documentation standpoint to the consumer. That's great. That's awesome. And what, since I want to give listeners a really good idea on questions they should ask a potential lender, say they're referred to somebody, wondering what questions they should ask a lender that they're thinking about working with. So, however many questions you might recommend would be great. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's funny. In sales, one of the best things you can do, in my opinion, is to ask questions and then, and then wait for the feedback and find out what, what's most important to clients. But if I was to turn my hat around and, and make myself the consumer, a lot of the questions I would be asking that lender is I'd be asking them about their experience in the business, you know, do they understand the market that they are going to be looking at and buying in? Because that is very important. I would ask them, you know, what type of technology the company they work for offers so that they could streamline the process and, and make it as easy as possible. I'll tell you, 25 years ago when I got in the business, I very incorrectly guessed that the internet, uh, while they have a very big part in our industry and obviously in our world, you know, I thought that that would almost phase out the human loan officer within a 10 or 15 year period. And 25 years later, we're still very much needed. And I'm very grateful for that because uh, this is what I've done pretty much since college. But the technology part is very big because the process, you know, you'll often hear people talk about how much paperwork is involved in it. And that, that could be the case based on the scenario. But anything that experienced loan officer can do to ease the process and explain to them accurately uh, what documentation would be needed and why. A lot of times, the why is so important to consumers. They don't mind doing it, but sometimes if they don't understand why it's being asked for, it can cause some frustration and, and some, some challenges. But I think you know one of the things that I try to do really well is, is manage the expectations of my clients and completely educate them on the process. Listen, we need to ask for these documents because of you know, your self-employment or because of the way you structured your business. And this is why, well, I don't understand why that's important. Okay, great. Let me tell you more about why that's important and what would happen to your loan after it gets closed and sold and might end up, let's say on Wall Street, why that's, why this is important. And in, in my experience, once you explain to them the why, the cooperation part's not really a challenge. So, but I mean, that's, you know, the questions they really should be asking in terms of, like I said, experience, technology. Can your team, for example, I'm looking to close in 30 days. Can your team accomplish this? That's very, very important. A lot of bigger organizations might not be as nimble. They might not be able to move as fast. And in my experience, I'll tell you, it's, it's uh, it, while 
Interest rates are certainly probably the driving factor of what people's main concern is when they're trying to secure financing. Interest rates are not that important if you can't make it to the finish line and you can't make it to the finish line on time. So you need to know how quickly a team can move. You know, other questions I would probably ask, what happens to my loan after we close? You know, is it going to be sold? And if so, who might it be sold to? And how does that process work? So those are some of, I think, the critical, you know, questions. A lot of the advantages we have and a lot of the business that we win right now is for proprietary programs that we have that we've put in place to benefit clients. And you're going to want to ask them, do you have anything different than other mortgage companies that are out there? And, and find out what programs they do have. Ultimately, you know, if you're talking about larger lending institutions, and our company certainly in that bucket, the generic piece is the interest rate, you know, and, and money is the commodity. I often say that a dollar in my pocket's a hundred pennies, just like a dollar in your pocket's a hundred pennies. And while smaller companies might not be able to be as aggressive with interest rates, if you were comparing larger companies, there should be a very similar interest rate being quoted on a similar scenario, given a similar timeline. The thing that isn't generic in any way, shape, or form is going to be that service aspect of it. How well do they describe the process and break it down? How well do they describe uh, what you can expect in terms of interest rates, fees? Like I said, the overall process and how well are they going to manage your expectations and how well do they communicate? You know, simple business practices. You know, how quickly are, can I expect to get answers on these questions that I have? And, and while that stuff is important all the time, it's even more important after somebody goes contract and they're on a, they're on a deadline and then it, everything becomes hyper sensitive, you know, and everything is kind of moving at warp speed. Right. And is, is a question as far as who the main contact will be? Do you ever get that asked that question? I do. And I'm glad you asked that because, you know, I do a lot of volume on our team, but a really important fact that I make sure that our clients know is that you're certainly not going to be handed off and handed off again and handed off again. It's important for them to know that, listen, I'm going to know what's going on with your file every step of the way. And it, it's just a fact that the more volume you do, you, you need to put a team around you. And like I said, I'm, I'm in the business 25 years. My team lead has been in the business 33 years. Like, so I'm very confident with him answering all the questions, but it's also really important that that client knows, hey, listen, I can call Mark on his cell anytime that I have questions. And it's important that he, that the consumer knows that they have a team that's working for them. Certainly not just one person, because when you have one person and you can't get a hold of them, that can be a challenge. But you know, it's, there are some hands that touch the file when somebody's getting a loan. There's generally going to be the loan originator or myself. There may be an assistant or assistants if they do a lot of volume. And then after that file goes in, it's going to go to a processor. An underwriter is going to review it. And then it moves into closing. And then the file is closed. So those are the people that you can kind of set the expectations. These are the people that are going to be reviewing your information. You may hear from some of these people at these breakpoints. And this is why they're reaching out to you. And I know that when you set those expectations, people very, feel very confident about it. But ultimately, I am always the person to call and ask the questions if they can't get the information from anybody on my team that they need. Yeah. Gotcha. And you also mentioned fees briefly. And I'm not going to ask you for an exact fee because we don't have an exact scenario. But 
Is there any insight that you can give for someone who is meeting with a lender, questions they should ask specific to fees or if they pay for an appraisal up front, some other costs they may encounter? Yeah. So the fees question, it's a great question. It's, it's always market driven. You know, I'm personally licensed in Illinois, Indiana, and Michigan. And I can tell you that while all three of those states, for example, have very similar fees that you can expect, there are some differences. For example, in Illinois, nearly all buyers will use a real estate attorney. And that real estate attorney's fee may be a flat fee somewhere between $550 and $850 for a transaction. Whereas if somebody's buying in Indiana, same exact house you may be looking to buy in Illinois, rarely does anybody use an attorney in the state of Indiana. They just don't do that. So that's a fee that doesn't exist. And that's going back to needing to work with somebody who has market knowledge and can explain these things to people. But in terms of closing costs and expectation, it's very market specific. But unfortunately, I do still hear a lot of people that have been in the business a long time saying, oh, yeah, well, closing costs, will, they'll just be 2% of what you're paying. And that's not exactly accurate because 2% on a $200,000 deal is $4,000 and 2% on a $500,000 deal is $10,000. So that's a, that's a pretty big range of disparity there. So you need to be positioned with a mortgage professional. Like for example, in Chicagoland, it's very easy to drill down and say, okay, great. You're looking in this area. I can tell you exactly what the fees would be for closing. Not exactly, but very, very close, you know, because you don't maybe know who they're going to use for a real estate attorney and you don't, they haven't found a home yet. But if you're dealing with a range of purchase price, it's very simple to tell them, okay, listen, in that area, you know, you'd be expected to pay title fees, attorney's fees. And if you're working with a bank to get a loan, there would be some form of an origination fee and you can give them a very good range of what they can expect. What I found is that when people have a, people are very quick to understand what a percentage of a purchase price is. And that part's, that's easy math. The closing costs, which are not complicated, but they get complicated because there's so many different numbers involved in a real estate transaction. The simpler you can make it and break it down, you can better manage the expectations of the consumer out there. And they have a better idea. Getting back to the no surprises, great. I remember we talked about this. I remember the ranges of the closing costs and they're just better prepared for that part of it. And it sounds like, to your understanding, as long as a good lender has an understanding about where a buyer is buying and kind of what is going on in that specific area, they should, not to the penny, but they should be able to give a pretty darn good understanding of what someone's closing costs should be. They definitely should. And I'll tell you, the bigger the role of, the, of internet lenders, which often will, they will bring people in by trying to dazzle them with interest rates, but often they're out of market based lenders. And when they do that, they may be off by thousands and thousands of dollars based on what a, you know, a city's transfer taxes are or when taxes are paid, if they're paid in arrears or paid in advance. And, and those differences. That's getting back to, well, interest rates are always important. In 25 years, I've never gotten a call where the consumer said, listen, Mark, the most important thing is that we pay the highest rate possible. Like That's a phone call I've never gotten, and I don't know that I ever will. But I'll tell you, as important as interest rate is, I think being more accurate with what people can expect with ironclad numbers should really trump the fact that interest rates are, are what they are. They're tied to a market. They're going to go up and they're going to go down. And 
Unfortunately, nobody has a magic pot of money. I wish they did, and I wish that I had access to it. But the reality is interest rates, like I said, are relatively generic. And But managing the expectations of what the fees accurately are should really be a question that is asked to every, to every lender. Great. Great. And you got into one of the follow-up questions I had for you, which is, does working with a local lender matter and why? And so a little bit about that, but maybe do you have any other words of wisdom on the working with a local lender versus a a national one? Yeah, it's a great question, Dave, because I'll tell you, I get this often, especially from the listing agents that are representing sellers in the market. And we've gotten that this question a lot more since it's become a high velocity and a super competitive marketplace. And the reason that listing agents and sellers find it so important is that they want to make sure if they're getting nine or 17 or 30 offers on a property, that the offer they accept that may be tied to buyers that are securing financing is being done by somebody who fully understands all of the ins and outs of lending in that marketplace. They understand the fees involved. They understand the timing. They've got a good finger on the pulse in terms of how long does an appraisal take to be done in that market. And then there's an added bonus. You know, When you've been in the business for as long as I have, a lot of my clients are offering on properties that are being represented by agents that I've worked with many, many times in 25 years. And And through a lot of the success stories that I've had working with those agents, either on mutual clients or on deals that they were representing the seller, they know that when they call me or my team, they're going to get an accurate update on what the status of the file is. And I tell you, real estate agents, they just always feel a lot more comfortable when they're dealing with a local person versus somebody who may be 500 or 1,000 miles away. And they just don't have any experience with that lender. They don't have, for lack of a better term, a throat to grab if the deal goes sideways and, and they don't get the status updates that they normally would get. So that experience in the marketplace and then just being a known entity and having a long track record is really critical. And that actually brings up a question because you've been doing this 25 years and you've done several deals with, or you've been part of a loan that agents you've dealt with several times. How many transactions would you say you've been a part of over your career? I think we've we've probably closed a little bit more than 3500 transactions and most of those being purchase transactions. You know, the market will dictate whether there's a lot of refinance activity going on like in the current time there's very little refinances being done because of the the, the recent increase in interest rates so it's pretty much a, a purchase driven market. But my business for 25 years has probably been north of 80% purchase versus refinance and you know, like anything else, if you do a lot of it like that over that amount of time, you, you see those scenarios before. So while there are a lot of moving parts in a real estate transaction, you know, and things can go sideways for a myriad of different reasons, when you've encountered that situation before, I think you're just better prepared to explain to your clients, this is what's happened. Here's some options that we have moving forward. And when you do it with a sense of calm, you know, somebody told me early on, And certainly not to say that real estate is not an important and serious business because it is, but I was compared to being a heart surgeon when I was about six months in the business and I made a mistake. And you know what? When a heart surgeon makes a mistake, that that could be a lot more serious than when a real estate deal goes sideways. But my point is we don't have as many of those situations today because we've had those scenarios before and we just simply know how to deal with them or better yet, 
we know how to not get into that situation because we're better able to advise clients at the pre-approval stage and at the contract stage. Right. And certainly in, in that situation, I always think when I'm doing an analogy with the real estate of Sully Sullenberger, who was a very well-known pilot, and it's not like when you're a passenger on a plane, you can choose who the pilot is. But when you're a buyer and you can choose who your lender is, you'd rather have a Sully Sullenberger fly in the financing plane than not. That, I think that's kind of reading through the tea leaves a little bit, but I think that's how I see it at least. A couple final questions. First off, really appreciate your time in going through all this information. I think it's extremely helpful, especially for people that are deciding if they're going to buy or what questions to ask a lender, should they be considering it. One question I had for you is, what is the best way for the audience to get a hold of you if they had any questions for you specifically? I appreciate that, Dave. So most people will go to my website, which is just mychicagomortgage.com, mychicagomortgage.com. And my mobile number is listed on there. My office addresses are listed on there. And then there's a lot of great information about Mortgage 101, mortgage programs that we have. And then like I had mentioned, most clients will start their online application right through that website as well. But my mobile number is always a great way to get me as well. And like a lot of us in the real estate world, you know, we don't work nine to five in our capacity because a lot of real estate gets bought and sold uh, on nights and weekends. And that's what we do. Right. Well, and it goes back to a point that I make to a lot of clients where as far as being able to reach someone outside of a nine to five, you're talking about the local lender versus a national one. I always say, because I don't tell mandate with clients who they're going to work with as a lender, what I tell them is they need to make sure they can reach the person over the weekend. Like, because if things go south, you want to know how to be able to reach someone that isn't at an 800 number. And so that plays very much into that point. So thanks for saying that. And finally, do you have any final words of wisdom to share with our listeners? I think a lot of it is, is stuff that we've talked about on this, and this has been a really great experience for me. And thank you again for the opportunity. But I would say, you know, it's, it's it, when somebody's buying a home, you know, their friends or their family always have, hey, we, you know, we know this person or we worked with this person or, you know, some people might think of just going to the bank where they keep their money at. And that's all great. But all I know is that when you align yourself with real estate professionals at the real estate, the agent uh, front, the mortgage front, the attorney front, if you're in a state that uses attorneys, when all of those parties are pulling in the same direction and they've worked with each other before and there's cohesion there, that just you know works out to be a much better process and experience for those clients because ultimately, you know, they've they found a home that they love, you know, they they want the baby, they don't want the labor pains necessarily. And the the smoother that those parties can work together, what I often tell people is I listen. You're lined up with Dave. I've closed an awful lot of business with Dave. I'm going to be able to better, he's going to be able to better represent you. I'm going to be able to better represent you if we're all working together and we know how we work. So while the rates and the terms are certainly important, that's that's not to go and discount that piece of it. You need to be aligned with somebody that you feel comfortable with. You feel like they're an advocate of yours, that they have your best interests. They're giving you information that is solid and that you can count on. And that you can you can communicate and get a hold of them like you're talking about because that's 
that's critical. You know, people often have a lot of questions and they don't get upset necessarily about the answers a lot of times, but they'll get upset if they're not getting answers. And a lot of times it's, it's something very simple. And like I said, my thing would be just to work with somebody that you feel comfortable with, that you feel like has your best interests in mind. That is a great way to finish this out because it is something that I also mentioned to clients as far as trust. And everyone has their own way to decide who they're going to trust, right? But having a team touching, you know, retouching that base as well, where there are several people that are involved in a real estate transaction and making sure that you trust the lender and the realtor and all the other people that are on your team makes everything go smoother. So Mark Churchill, thank you again. This has been wonderful having you on the show and thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next episode. Thank you for listening to Putting the Real in Real Estate with Dave Nimick. Make sure to subscribe and follow so you don't miss an episode. You can find our guest contact information and real estate resources in the show notes. Stay tuned for the next episode of Putting the Real in Real Estate.